So here's the question this morning. If we're going to have a transformative impact on the city, if we're going to have a spiritual impact on our city, city, how does that happen? And I want to suggest to you this morning, spiritual impact on a community begins with individuals who are experiencing gospel transformation themselves. That's how it starts. I mean, if we're going to have an impact on the city, it's going to be us. Uh, we've got to be serious about our faith. We've got to see that our faith is real, that our, our faith is in action, that, that we, know, we, we know what we believe. We're passionate about what we believe. And we have to start with that. And that's really what Paul is dealing with here this morning as we open this passage. You see, spiritual transformation is something that takes place from the inside out. It's an inward work of the Spirit. It's not something you can create yourself. You can't say, okay, I'm going to try real hard to get transformed here. It doesn't work that way. This is something God does when he opens our eyes to spiritual blessings. And there are two very, very important things to remember. If God is in the work of bringing spiritual transformation in your life, you're going to see it in two ways. First of all, in, in the things that you love, your affections are going to change. And the second thing is in the way you think. What you begin to think about changes. The subject of your, cha- of your thinking changes. When real spiritual transformation comes, it changes the affections of our hearts and it changes the way that we think. And that's what real spiritual transformation is all about. Now, you were here last week. Richard started in Ephesians this incredible letter, uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And he, he reminded you last week that Paul begins this whole section in Ephesians with uh, a section that talks about the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. And if you go back to verse 3 in that opening section, he says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realm with every spiritual blessing in Christ. It's not the concentration on the blessings. It's the concentration of the one who blesses. And so his big prayer is, oh God, let them, know, let them know you better. Let them know you better. So I want to read the prayer. This is a prayer for you and a prayer for me this morning from Ephesians. Starting at verse 15 in the first chapter there to the end of the chapter, this is God's word. Now this is his prayer. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints... I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in all my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his uncomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given not only in the present age, but in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, 
the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And so he's asking the Father to give us his spirit who in turn would grant us wisdom so that we could comprehend what God had revealed about himself. And when you read this prayer, do you pick up the fervency with which he prays? He said, listen, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in in my prayers. He goes on to say, I keep asking, I keep asking. And I think about that fervency of Paul, that passion for Paul. He wants us to know him better. Paul was a great theologian. He was a biblical scholar. Paul walked around. He was known. He's not talking at that level. He's talking at a personal level. And he says, I want you to know Christ. So why is he so passionate for us to know Christ? And I'll give you the answer. Because that was the driving passion of his own life. When he writes to the Philippians... This is what he said. This is profound. This is his heart. This isn't intellectual knowledge. This is heart knowledge. And this is what he said. But whatever was to my profit, whatever was to my profit, whatever was important to me, whatever I loved most in my life, whatever I thought about most in my life, whatever was to my profit, I consider that now loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. That was his passion. And he goes on to write, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. He's fervent about it. He's not satisfied with all the knowledge that he had. He wanted more. I want more. I want more. I want Jesus in my life. He's passionate for it. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection. That was his passion. And I started thinking about this even this morning. Why don't I have that passion for Christ? Why don't I have that kind of drive for Christ? I, you know, I'll be honest. Sometimes I look more forward to a, a, a good meal at a great restaurant sometimes than I do about Jesus. You know, I get more excited about going out to eat somewhere than I start thinking about him. And I won't even start on football here, you know. But you think about that. Why are we not that passionate? Why are we not driven like Paul was? I'm going to give you the answer. You know why? quite simple because of the idols of our hearts you see look let me tell you something there are things you love better than Jesus and there are things you think about more than you think about Jesus those are idols you understand that an idol is anything that you love more than you love Jesus is is when you think about something more than you think about Jesus that becomes the idol of your life and I'm telling you my life is full of them And so is yours. If you're going to get serious about spiritual transformation in your life, you have to identify the idols. And you have to deal with them. 
And let's don't stick our spiritual heads in the ground here. Let's don't go around with our spiritual noses up in the air. Oh, I don't have any idols. Yes, you do. And so do I. Where there's not that drive in your life, where there's not that passion in your life for Jesus, I want to know him. I want to know him better. I long to be with him. Then it means there's something else that's more important to you than he is. And you've got to start with that. And you've got to deal with it. And that's the beauty of the gospel. The gospel says we're all a bunch of failures because we are. We've all had our idols and put things before him. That's every one of us in this room. And if you're going to be serious about spiritual transformation in your life, you've got to start with that. You've got to look at the idols of your heart. So he's praying that we would know Jesus better. But you've got to deal with the idols. Now that was the primary prayer. But then he gets into a specific prayer. By the way, he says, I consider everything loss, right, compared to the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. You pick up his great passion. Well, then he gets to the specific request. He says, I pray also that you've got to walk through this with him. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. Now, let me stop right there. We talk about spiritual transformation. Here's the second piece. Of, the first is you've got to identify the idols. The second thing is you've got to pray for it. Because you know what the problem is? The problem is that the eyes of our hearts are darkened because of sins. We don't see things clearly. We don't see things as they really are. We've let all the stuff of this world cloud in on us, crowd in on us, and we don't see clearly. And so we have to pray for that. We have to pray that God would open the eyes of our hearts. For us to know Christ better, the Holy Spirit has to take away the scales. He has to open our eyes to the need. He has to reveal to us the majesty, the glory, and the beauty of Christ to us. And we have to pray for that. You remember what David said in Psalm 27? David said, the one thing of my life, that's pretty strong. The one thing of my life is to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life and to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Oh, that I had that passion to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. We have to pray for the eyes of our hearts to be enlightened. And then he gets specific here. Look at what he prays. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may, first, know this, the hope to which he has called you. Look at it. The hope to which he has called you. What's he talking about? A glorious future in his presence. And I'm going to tell you something. We all need hope. I've been a pastor for 45 years. And having been a pastor for all of these years, I'm telling you, I deal, have dealt with people, including in my own life, times when hope got very dim. We need hope. In this life, we face difficulties. We face trials. We face hardships. And we face pain. That's life in this broken world. I'm almost 70 years old. I'm at that point, I look back over my life now, and I'll tell you, it just doesn't always turn out the way you think it's going to turn out when you're 20 years old. It doesn't work out that way. And you know what I'm talking about. 
And you know what? You could concentrate on all those negative things and all the difficulties and all the pain of your life and you can become bitter and hard. We need hope. And what is that hope? Here it is. There it is. Christ in you is that hope. He is the hope of glory. Do you understand what, what this hope is? It's that hope in him that we are never alone, that he is with us. In fact, one of the verses that I cherish and I say it over and over again to myself is I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live, but Christ lives where? Do you believe that? I think we come to those times in our lives that we are so overwhelmed with the difficulties of life. We forget that Christ in us is the hope of glory and that he lives in me. And the life that I now live in the body, I live by faith in him. And I don't care what it is that I've got to face. I'm not hopeless. I'm not hopeless. And we need hope. And Paul's praying for you this morning. Oh God, open the eyes of their hearts that they can see the hope. Don't give up. Don't lose hope. Don't be disillusioned. For the very one who is our hope of glory lives in us and he will never, ever forsake us. That's the first thing he prays for. Then he goes on, I pray to you, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you. And then look at this next phrase. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saint. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. I read this about 10 times and I couldn't make sense out of it. Because already in my head, what I had in my head was, he's talking about our inheritance, right? We, we hear a lot about our inheritance. We're going to get an inheritance. Undefiled, reserved in heaven for us. We read about it. That's not what this is talking about. It's talking about God's inheritance. And do you know what God's inheritance is? Believe it or not. Do you know what God's inheritance is? Us. Us. Do you know what this is saying? God delights to think about spending eternity with us as pitiful as we are. We are his inheritance. He goes on later to talk about us as being the fullness of Christ. We get so down on ourselves. We get so defeated. And I'm telling you, we are that inheritance. And the question is, how did we become God's inheritance? Well, you know the answer to that. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. You know how we got to be God's inheritance? Because Christ made it possible. And he redeemed you. He bought you. He gave up everything for you. He he who is the richest of all rich abandoned it all and came here for you and for you and for you. 
and he became poor. That doesn't mean he just was born in a manger and there wasn't any room for him in the end and he didn't ever have a house. It didn't mean that. It meant spiritual poverty when he went to the cross and on that cross he bore hell. He became the curse. Separated from the Father. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why in the world did he say that? Because at that moment he became poor. At that moment he gave it all up. And he did it for you. So that you'd be God's inheritance. You're God's inheritance. Because Jesus made you that. Is that not incredible? For you to think about? But one more thing. By the way. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us everything? He did that for you. Do you understand this? That's who you are. You're his beloved. A royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. That's who we are. The fullness of Christ, that's who we are. You see why he's praying? Open their eyes, God. Open their eyes. They forget these things. Well, one more. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparable great power for us who believe. Hope. Understand we're the inheritance. And now he prays that we would understand this huge, huge power that's available to us. And he goes on to talk about that power. He works it out. He illustrates it. And he says, what power is he talking about? That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. That's the power that he's talking about here. And I think about this. I think about the demons in our lives that rob us of all that. Demons that rob us. Demons that defeat us. Addictions. I want to tell you something. There are a lot of folks in this place who have terrible addictions. Some to alcohol. Some to medications. Addictions. We live in an addictive age. And it's a demon. It'll defeat you. It'll destroy your life. And you want victory over it, but you can't seem to get it. Emotional distress. I'm telling you, I went through a depression. And I don't know of anything any more horrible than what you feel when you go through depression. You feel hopeless. You feel helpless, and you feel there's a horrible cloud over your head. It's a demon. It's a demon. And it'll defeat you. Paul talks about, I'm sorry, the writer to the Hebrews talks about that sin that so easily entangles us. What is it in your life? I've got mine. That one you want to get rid of that keeps coming back. 
and you beg God to take it away from it, and you've repented over it a million times, but it just keeps coming back. It's a demon to your life. It gets in the way of your walk with Christ. Let me push you to this, your negative thoughts. When we do that negative self-talk, and I talk myself down into a pit. It's a demon. Guilt. Shame. They're demons. You understand what this is saying? It's saying that we have available to us a power that is able to defeat the most horrendous demon that you possess. The power that raised Jesus from the dead and seated him at the right hand is available to us. You see it? I'm going to tell you something. In your own strength, you'll never defeat those demons. You will make your mind up and you will determine you're going to defeat those demons and you can't do it. And there finally has to come to that place that you surrender and you throw your hands up in the air and you say, I give up, I quit, I quit striving. And I look at him who is my hope. And I look at him who is the power. And I beg him. And I yield to him. And I say, Jesus, I want to know you better. I want to get serious about my spiritual life. I want to know you in deeper ways than I've ever known you before in my life. So here's what I want to suggest to you. Walk out with these three things for spiritual transformation in your life. Number one, you've got to identify the idols. You've got to identify them. They're going to always be a hindrance to you of knowing them better. Find out what they are in your life. Identify them. Be honest about them. Be ruthless on yourself. Examine me, O God, and test my heart. Right? That's what the psalmist prayed. What are the idols? Deal with them. Second thing is, you have to pray for enlightenment. You have to pray for spiritual renewal. You have to ask God for it. You can't conjure it up in yourself. You can't try real hard and get it. You've got to say, God, open my eyes. Let me see you in ways I've never seen you before. Open my eyes. Enlighten the eyes of my heart. And show me all of these things that we've talked about this morning. And then the third thing. Look. How do we get to know Christ better? How do we get to know Christ better? Well, it's pretty simple. How do we get to know Christ better? How do I get to know you better? How do I get to know you better? You know, it's pretty simple. I've got to spend time with you. To sit in that profound, not, theolo- not way up here in the realms of theology up here. Nope, it's pretty basic. I got to spend time with you. Here's my challenge to you. Are you spending time with Jesus? You'll never get to know him better unless you do. Never. I'm going to suggest to you that if you don't have a place to start, here's the way to start. Start with the Gospel of John. Just start with that one. Don't get all lost in all those 66 books in the Bible. Go to John and just start reading about Jesus. And every time you read about him, 
Ask God to open your eyes to show you what you can learn about Jesus there and begin to experience him. Then talk to him. That's what prayer is. Prayer is simply talking to God. It's no big deal. You haven't got to be some preacher to pray. Just talking to God. Talk to God about what you're seeing about Jesus. And begin to spend that time. And I'll tell you, when that begins to happen, you identify the idols, you pray for enlightenment, and you spend time with him. You're going to start seeing a change in what you love. And you're going to see a change in the way that you think. Let's pray. This morning, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for this, this prayer that's so powerful, so, so powerful. And I pray this morning that we would, we would come to know you, Jesus. That we come to know you. That we come to know that you love us. And so I pray that at this very moment, You'd open the eyes of our hearts and let us see you in your beauty, your glory, your majesty, all that you are. And Lord, we're going to sing a little simple song here. And it's my prayer this morning that when we sing this little simple song, it's one we learned as children, that we're going to know what it means, not just intellectually, but we're going to know what it means experientially because Jesus loves me. This I know because the Bible tells me so. We give you thanks now and pray in your precious name. Amen.